0: this is a new look at an old book you remember that song kyle oh i do yes that's it that's what popped in my head just now the uh <laughs> the take a new look at at the old book take a new look at the bible song
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. all right what's uh yes i remember that
0: the um, confusion wow. on matt's face kind of makes me happy that like that, that wasn't like a all the way across america <laughs> song big time um, old,
1: it was like a bbs in very fundamentalist churches yeah sort of thing that's what i remember like i mean that was really it get the new look at the old book at the new look from the bible yeah the inward look it the sounds... outward look the upward look the old old book no, it's, really, it's, a doesn't song sound familiar. it's a song about the bible <laughs> oh man we could do a whole episode on just no, that <laughs> what does that say i mean
0: I grew up in a similar world as you, but you're, you were pastor's kids. So, right. Well, that and, was, I feel like that was pre-Oklahoma.
1: Yeah. And uh, we, the other thing is like, so, hello. <laughs> well, <laughs> <how are you? laughs> yeah. On
0: that note. Um, I was about so to like, let's go way deep. This is, like, who is talking? Yeah, this is, this is the, uh, this is an, the new phase of the Everything is Okay podcast, uh, where we are once again three guys from claremore oklahoma who grew up in um the same church uh and we uh have processed through faith we're coming at a slightly different angle now than we were before as now um it is with matt and kyle who instead of the faith journeys where there was a lot of uh, questioning and unsure of like whether they would still land in faith, they went to seminary. So now we are still myself, James Eisenhower, and then Matt O'Mealy and Kyle Eisenhower. I'm the third and I deal. Sang, uh, sang songs about the Bible. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Uh, and, I, and this is what I was just going to say. I think
1: a lot of that, as we've been exploring, our grandfather just passed away about a month ago at mm-hmm. 90, almost 98, 97. So he'd lived a long, faithful life. Was a preacher in uh, the Missionary Baptist Church in Arkansas for seventy-five plus years, um, mm-hmm. and kind of sorting and looking through the theology that he sort of came up through, and, and it was that was pretty fundamentalist sort of stuff. Yeah. So I don't want to go way deep into that, but I'm pretty sure that song came from a VBS yeah, at, 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 at Papa's Church. I'm pretty sure that's Probably. where we heard that song. So because we would go to VBS all the time, whenever it was just funny at. Uh, at uh, a funeral, an old lady that I had no idea who she was comes up to me and she says, pretty sure I taught you in BBS. I'm just uh-huh. a good old faithful Christian woman. <laughs> That's what she how
0: she described herself. She said her name and her town. Uh-huh. I can't faithful remember what Christian it was. Woman. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. And if you wanted to see the path of, of our grandfather's theology, um, it's very easy because I think he has sermon notes for every sermon he mm-hmm. ever preached or heard handwritten handwritten in his house there they are everywhere yeah it's amazing um so also the other like the
1: other context for matt and i is that matt's older brother josh was one of my best friends growing up so it was Mm -hmm. sort of like josh and i were really great friends we were the crew that hung out and then matt and james and their friends the four years younger crew all hung out we had sort of this like there were others between us, but they didn't matter. It was really those no. two who yeah. ran around and owned Claremore First Baptist Church. Yeah, yeah there, because, was, because, there was there yeah. was hangers-on
2: that was in the groups between us. You know, like like Carl McKenzie, Carl, yeah. yeah. those, those guys. It's like, yeah, you're the wrong age. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you follow us around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and there Matt, was just overwhelming band amounts of me.
1: people. Right? Yeah, we put in some worship bands together back in the day, as every good '90s youth group kid did.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to, um, what's funny is, uh, Stephen Bram, who's been on this podcast who uh, he thinks fondly of, uh, he did, he was the oldest and didn't have older brothers. So by proxy, you know, Josh and Kyle and Alan Robbins and all those guys, those were his older brothers. And so, you know, he always, steven he's like the historian of the group like he remembers everything and has pictures of everything we ever recorded yeah he He has has He wasn't there yeah (laughs) yeah like he i think he literally took copies of things that i took my parents video camera and recorded and he made copies and has things like he just has stuff but but yeah he, he always talks of you know watching like alan do crazy stuff and we're all like yeah, we're going to do that, too, when we get older. Like, whatever yeah. they did, we're going to do that, too. <laughs> and just learn from their mistakes and not get caught like they did sometimes. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, or what your brother did. Is this
0: outing your brother? What, yeah, not, I mean, I know. It's the, I, the stuff I was that he talking, did. I was talking to somebody about that the other day because um, one, one of our kids was asking, uh, one of our kids in our youth group was asking if, uh, if I ever had the police department or the uh, fire department show up for because I was talking about the many times we ended up accidentally lighting things on fire Mm -hmm. and I was like no I think the only person that had any involvement of the fire department was when Josh kicked a flaming tennis ball, and it went to the fire department. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) from the youth
1: building. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that
2: he can't live that down.
1: (laughs) I mean, he kept a note of all of the pranks and bad things he did, Uh handwritten, very organized. That your mom found. I mean, yes. (laughs) Here's the list of my crimes, Mom. Why don't you find it? I'm like, as a (laughs) parent, imagining finding that. Or like, yeah, first of all, so you an idiot, and second, you big time idiot.
2: Do you remember my brother's white
1: hatchback? I do. Car? very well. I, yes, very I well. inherited that. Uh, and funny
2: story about David in that with uh, the ground
1: effects and the handle on the the shifter. Well, kind yeah, of he had that. the metal yeah. shifter knob, I, and we had
2: subwoofers. <laughs> yeah, we had subwoofers in the back. You know, yeah, just yeah. to make my you know my Blink One Eighty Two sound better. Nice. Uh, uh, so. Funny story about David before I tell the Josh story on the on the white hatchback, which it was a Mitsubishi Eagle Summit Coupe hatchback. I think was like the long title of it. Of course, Uh, stick stick shift. It didn't have power steering. Yeah, (laughs) didn't have power steering, and so it it had like a like a giant truck uh, steering wheel in this tiny little hatchback, uh, which wasn't a big deal because it didn't hardly weigh anything. Even one time at Stephen's house. In high school, you guys picked up my car and set two of the wheels on the curb, you know, because it was that small. But one time David in high school tried to steal my car when I left it running, when I went into a gas station to get a snack. And he didn't know that he had to crank hard on the steering wheel. So I came outside and the, the car was just halfway out of the parking spot. And he was like, I can't turn your car. <laughs> I tried to move it and I don't know how to drive it. <laughs>
1: oh, so,
2: my gosh. So anyways, yeah. Josh, when when I inherited the car the center console under the armrest was still full of black cats and bottle rockets when I inherited the car. So then, so I get my license and then Steven comes over when I get my license which he also went with me to get my license uh, picture taken and got in trouble from the ladies working there because he kept jumping up to get in the picture with me. They wouldn't let that stand. But uh, so we, my first day of driving, we get super soakers and we drive around spraying random people in Claremore and then going up and down neighborhood streets, like using up all of Josh's fireworks that he left in the car. So that was, you know, I inherited my He's big brother's car rides. and I, it was preloaded with bad ideas.
1: <laughs> I, I seriously don't know if I've ever been more scared in my life than in moments late at night with your brother. I'm just serious. Up <laughs> he would like, let's do it. And he was such like seems so normal in school and orderly. And then at night yeah. I'm just ranks he just well thought through and yeah i i don't i don't know if i can even i don't even know if the statute of limitations is done yet for me to even describe (laughs) stuff that we did but i've never been with josh yeah i know which is so
2: funny like if anyone knows him now he's so straight laced and and buttoned up it's just he says that was him trying to like Get attention and be a different guy. I was like, I don't know, man. You're you're pretty good at it.
1: Like some of the ideas he right. yeah. had. He was very good at it. He like had a lot of. I think he was so good at school too. So he's so orderly. He's like had yeah, all sorts of time to think of other stuff to do. They weren't just willy nilly pranks. He wasn't just like, oh, I wonder what sounds good. He's like thought through the steps what needs to happen to pull this prank. Yeah. And he didn't get caught most of the time because he thought barely. through it until he he actually essentially confessed on his own
2: yeah yeah man one time i think it was it maybe
1: jared hood or alan robbins
2: i don't think it was you but uh one of my brother's friends and josh and i got a water balloon launcher and we went over to blue star right around the corner from our neighborhood and we're just unloading water balloons on cars as they drove by and uh one one of the last car we hit before we had to run was like a bronco of some high schooler who spun a yui on Blue Star and chased us down, and I fell running from him, and so he caught me and started like chewing me out. And Josh and I think it might have been Alan were just hiding in our house while the well, sixth grader <laughs> brother is outside getting like cussed at by a senior in high school. He's like, "What
1: are you do?" And I'm gonna find you. I, and all this was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I remember <laughs> how close you lived to the hospital, and there was a couple times we hit some people going in or out of the hospital from uh, with that water balloon launcher. Yes,
2: we've and we've told the story on this podcast before of how one time Josh talked my mom into leaving church early on a Wednesday night, so the three of us—Josh, mom, and me—went home and shot the Church of Christ uh, parking <laughs> lot while they were leaving church. So, oh my God,
1: I know I've like told you before. Marissa?
2: Probably one of one of the yeah I bet one it, of the time it was
1: it was, when he was yeah. Melissa
2: or one of the Mini Nichols.
1: That... <laughs> <One of> the...
0: <laughs> they didn't go to the First Christ. They went to First Baptist. The Nichols did. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah, Melissa
0: did. That would yeah, um... be a band. Uh, Nighttime Josh and the and the Mini Nichols.
2: <laughs> Man, thinking about oh, my Nicoles. brother's old exploits. Like it's funny because my wife now I tell her these stories and she's like, I couldn't see your brother doing that. I was like, Oh, he did.
0: Those things yeah. happened. <laughs> There were a lot Steven, of us there to witness. Yeah, Stephen <laughs> Brim probably has proof somewhere.
2: Mm-hmm. He took a picture Josh of his, his adopted the big hand, brother.
1: <laughs> probably yeah. still has the handwritten notes somewhere with listing every single thing he's done. <laughs> right. oh, I love man. it. Anyways, there <laughs> you go. There's there's our connection. Yeah, has, your mom was essentially one of my extra moms. I mean, mm-hmm. I was at your house so much and all the time there. I mean, I can't vividly
0: picture your room growing up like yeah very much so because i mean if, if it he was, wasn't in my house it was, it was exactly the same way always so it's easy to remember there weren't there weren't a lot of changes he, no he it exactly was exactly like it was
2: always the same yeah josh is orderly yeah. like that and man it's funny i i have to i have to send you some links to it kyle i rated my parents uh, digital camera backup that goes back to the like like ninety-seven that we had oh old digital gosh. cameras that used floppy
1: discs, you know? Yeah, the Mavica. I know. I used that thing that Mavica. And so Mavica. we had
2: pictures of like you and all the other guys your age. Remember when Josh would throw those New Year's Eve parties that would get crazy yes. at my
1: parents' house? Yes. I don't know oh. why they let him do that. They never let me do that. Why well, were
0: crazy. When when yeah, you we were guys were doing the, at the school. I was yeah. there for
1: Y2 I was at your house for Y2K. <laughs> yeah. When Josh had the Kissathon at our house. Yes. Remember that? Yes. And he won? <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yeah. how do you so win a kiss-a-thon Like wins a, a lot like they, the, like, it who is the longest kiss yeah. yeah so I have all video night. and
2: pictures of that on an old uh, like floppy disk camera uh, I've seen all that stuff that Josh probably wishes doesn't exist anymore but you know what we were doing we were at Stephen Brim's house out in the country uh, Chad Choate yeah we were prank calling Chad Choate and other Sunday all school teachers night <laughs> So you guys were doing that. We were out there just being hooligans in the
0: woods. <laughs> yeah. He finally answered at like two AM and was like, stop calling. <laughs> oh
2: man.
0: The world's ending, Chad. We have to
2: mess with you.
1: <laughs> Matt, I know you went to seminary. I, like I actually don't know your path post Claremore that well. And like mm. I know you went to seminary somewhere and you were up like Iowa, yeah, Maybe? yeah. Oh, good. I, I, I went that. on a
2: crazy path. So the the short version is, I was working in Muskogee as a youth pastor while I worked um, as a barista and spending time talking to people in the coffee shop, and they would ask questions that Baptist Oklahoma Sunday School didn't prepare me to answer. Right. Yep. So I was like, I got to figure out how to talk with these people. And I just felt convicted to go to seminary and, and learn, you know, not in a sense. And we've talked about that on here before, not in a sense to like win arguments, but to just know what people are talking about. And that's why I went to seminary in 08, uh, to New Orleans and, um, it was awesome. I love New Orleans and the, and the seminary was great. And, uh, I studied, so I got a full MDiv with the emphasis in Christian thought. So I spent okay. time extra time doing philosophy, uh, theology classes, stuff like that. So like I took one over Christianity and the sciences and it was, yeah. it was wild where we were just talking about theoretical stuff, like a whole class talking about things like string theory, where it's like, yeah. if this is true, how does this affect our faith? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> and it's just, it was a really fun class. Um, so that was cool. And so I just learned about philosophers and just how how to think and how those conversations, instead of be intimidated by people, you know, being able to look at something that uh, Immanuel Kant says and not lose my faith over it, but right. you know, see all truth is God's truth and just help redirect uh, somebody that is thinking through those things to the truth of who God is and not away from it. Uh, that's just kind of became my passion, and that's why I went to seminary. And then while I was there, I, uh, got invited like right away to a church plant that was launching and it was an awesome fit. And that's really where Kiva and I, uh, kind of became the young adults that we are now, uh, it was just learning with those people and being poured into with them and serving in the city. The, the New Orleans seminary has a thing where they say like, you know, come here, learn to serve in New Orleans and be prepared to serve anywhere. Cause New Orleans is such a wild place, you know? Um, but I love the city though. And, uh, and it was a great experience. And then didn't know what to do after seminary. I didn't feel like I was really called to stay there, um, and so uh, I ended up going on a vision quest. And I drove through the Midwest because <laughs> I didn't want to go back to Oklahoma. I told God I would never go back to Oklahoma. Uh, alert, <laughs> I'm sitting in Oklahoma right now, uh, as of a month ago. But yeah, I told God I didn't want to go to Oklahoma, and so I went to the north and uh because I like winter and drove around the Midwest and met with different pastors and churches and just landed on Des Moines uh but before I moved to Des Moines I I met through the Acts 29 church plant network that we were a part of at the time I met uh the pastors at Coram Deo church that is in Omaha so I went there for a year doing like a exploratory church plant class thing with them um the you know I've been recounting this story a lot since i just moved to a new ministry uh in hindsight you know they asked they wanted to extend the the class not class but like cohort and do like a two to five year thing and really like hone in and prepare people to to do ministry and plant churches and i was too immature and anxious and was like nope i gotta go to des moines god said go to des moines and i left uh and i wouldn't change that mistake but I think it it probably was a mistake uh, to leave as early as I did. Um, I wouldn't change it, though, because the lessons I learned from there, you know, has made me into who I am now. And uh, just what God's done through those ups and downs um, has been unexpected. But uh, I appreciate how God's grown me through that. So I spent ended up spending eight years in Des Moines, served in three different church plants, uh... The last one I served in, I was there for a little over four years serving as the associate and Kiva was the worship leader and uh, through so pre-COVID and then all through COVID, that's what we were doing, Um, spent some time serving a Congolese church as well because they, during COVID, because they couldn't help their kids with their schoolwork. So I spent six months helping them do their online school stuff and that was exhausting. It was more, I've been off more than I could chew, uh, to help like two dozen kids of all ages do their online school. But it was, I knew it was just a season and, uh, God was faithful through that. And then, uh, a year ago, Philip called me about Evergreen Church in Tulsa saying they were growing and they might need to hire some more people. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm interested. Um, because back up to 2018 was when my mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's And we had two kids already and I was like, man, my parents are getting old and I want my boys to be around my family and I want to be there to help. Um, So I just kind of felt that burden and it continued to grow for the last five years. And so I had been trying since about 2018, like applying at different places, trying to see if I could get closer to family again, uh, just to help take care of those responsibilities and nothing worked out. So then fast forward to Christmas, this last Christmas, my father in law uh, was on a trip with other pastoral leaders in Greece doing like a Paul's missionary journey thing and met Michael Gabbert, the pastor at Evergreen. And they were talking about their kids. And my father in law mentioned that I was looking for somewhere back in Oklahoma. And he was like, Oh, I need to hire somebody. What's he do? You know, so they started talking. And then he texted me. And then I texted Philip. And then Philip called Michael. And then, long story short, I got like during Christmas, I came and interviewed here and everyone was like, yeah, let's do this. Like, this is the right fit. And so we moved officially March 8th. So I've been here for just over a month now, uh, serving as the young adult pastor, which is what Philip was doing. And so now I took his job and he is moving up to what they're now dubbing the median adults. So it's like late thirties, early forties to retirement age. So adults that have older kids, uh, that type of a thing, because Philip had kids right out of high school, so he has teenagers. Uh, one of them's going to be a senior this coming year, and I have little kids, so I've got an eight and a five year old. So I'm kind of in a different stage of life. So I'm doing, you know, post college young adult age uh, is my umbrella that I'm doing. So, so that's where I'm at now. It's been wild. So I did 15 years of of serving bivocationally in the church plant world, and now I'm in a giant church in South Tulsa. Which started as a church plant 20 years ago. So uh, it actually started like December of 99. So, you know, right before all of our wild parties we just talked yeah. about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is funny. I feel like my journey is the exact inverse of yours. This is like, I'll try and say it in the quickest I can. Is yeah. that uh, So I said, Lord, I'll never serve in the church after my dad and grandfather. And I saw what churches do to pastors, which that's a whole other story. Um, So I got my degree in undergrad and video production. And so that's what I was doing out of college and moved to San Antonio, chased my wife, and then ended up needing Mm -hmm. a job. And guess what? The best place to get a job doing video production is at a mega church because they need it. They don't know what they're doing. So I ended up working at a 15,000 people church here in San Antonio, worked there for seven years uh, as they were growing, doing sort of the mega church thing. And then sort of felt calling out of that to the church plant world, sort of uh, with some others saying we wanted, kind of felt God calling us to something different. Mm -hmm. So that was 13 years ago we planted our our church. Um, And then later in my sort of church journey, I felt like I wanted more education to learn how I could sort of serve the church better. Um, I'd had lots of education of sorts, um, of course, in churches, and I'd read widely and a lot of things, but I felt like I needed some Authority and some people that really lead me through a thing. So I just finished seminary. What year was that? Twenty twenty one, I think. Twenty twenty one. I finished seminary at Northern Baptist Seminary in Chicago. So instead of Southern Baptist, I did Northern Baptist. All right? Um, yeah. And so, and it was in it was in uh, Masters of Theology and Mission. So it's very much uh, missional theology uh, based a lot around practical theology, cultural analysis, sort of like. Mm. Um, uh, ethnography and on the ground, sort of how you discern a culture, how, you, how the gospel speaks into that. So you did the seminary, church plant, big church, and I had the big church, church plant seminary. So that's funny. kind of the opposite. Yeah. And still, you know, and by vocational pastor, I still uh-huh. currently am, uh, different at different times. I have my own video production company that I've done all along. And guess what? When 2020 hit and COVID hit, I was like the rock star. I needed to do every, I had all that we needed to create and stream and do everything. And there's still a balance there. A lot of the work I've done is I do teach and I do lead, but a lot of the work is definitely technology that I do at the church, but I'm sort of moving to a spot of spiritual direction um, Mm -hmm. is is where I'm pastor's filtered direction. But also everyone does a little bit of everything when you're at a church plant, 13 years and I don't know if I can call it a church plant when it's 13 years old anymore, but we're still a mobile church. So Uh, maybe a better term for it. So that's, it sounds like evergreen.
2: They, uh, I think they were maybe about 10, 10, or 13 years mobile. And then I think it's a little over 10 years now that they've had the building they're in, um, which they're, they built just what they needed at the moment. And then they continue to add on to it, uh, which was their plan. Uh, was to build it in that way to where they could add on instead of like building like a done product and then awkwardly add on to it. They built like what looked like half done and then add on as needed to it, you know? So they're currently under a building project, uh, adding more education wings. I think they have the biggest Awana in the area. Uh, Other smaller churches send their stuff to it. Yeah. Uh, So, which I didn't grow up doing Awana. Uh, They didn't, I feel like First Baptist didn't have it when didn't. we were. No, no, we RAs. We got it later. We had RAs. Yeah, we did RAs. Yeah. RAs. I remember was, they were it doing it when we were Larry. in high school. Yeah. Forgot about RAs. Yeah. GAs. Yeah, I
1: did. We did Awanas when we lived in Florida before we moved to Oklahoma. So we got it yeah. the younger ages. And then when we got to got to Oklahoma, we didn't have it there. So yeah, RAs, Royal Ambassadors. I think I still have some stickers that I squirreled away somewhere for the Royal Ambassadors. Yeah. yeah. The girls is the girls in action. Uh-huh. GAs.
2: Yeah, the GAs not as no, cool as yeah. RAs apparently.
0: Not as cool no, as RAs, definitely not.
2: So, well, yeah, so I'm, that's, I'm, that's I guess I'm
0: technically a minister, right? Like, I'm I'm not paid for it, but I I do the youth stuff for our church. So, does that count? Do I get to be yeah. part of the group? It counts. Okay, yeah. cool.
2: This is the yeah. first time I've had. This is my first full time job of my life. Isn't that funny? I've never that's had a full time job. I've always yeah. been bivocational. I worked for and Kyle, that whole for 15 years starting in college and off and on a little bit in college and then consistently after i my senior year of college on i was a barista so i've worked in coffee shops for for 15 years the last i left in 2020 when i went to help the congolese kids that was why i left coffee i miss it i love working in coffee shops but uh yeah i was always bivocational um generally like 30 plus hours working at coffee shops. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what paid the bills. Well, it's it's can, flexible.
1: I can out on coffee with you uh, some other time too. We can. Yes. Uh, I'm all about I that. I love it. Were that, so, were all the coffee shops not connected to any churches or were they like church connected coffee shops? They're all just nope. an
2: outlet. <clears throat> yep, just random coffee shops. Uh, God was real faithful in my coffee journey too because I would pick a coffee shop. I'm like, I'm going to work there. And then I would just get to know baristas. And it was funny, in Omaha, we moved to Omaha with no plan and uh, didn't have an apartment or anything. We just had a U-Haul and we just parked it. And we're like, we're going to find an apartment. And guy was real faithful and uh, met a Christian lady and, who was helping us find an apartment. A good Christian uh, lady. <laughs> good Christian lady. And she was like, I'm going to help you guys. And then we found the place we liked. And then she called the owner and was like, hey, this is the couple you want to move here. You know, you don't want some of the other random people like you're going to. You're going to let them move in now and you're going to give them a discount basically is what she was yeah. saying on the phone. They're like, okay, that sounds fine. Uh, so they just let us move in like two days. We had, were there with the U-Haul and our car and like nothing. <laughs> so she let us move in. But anyway, so we were hanging out in this coffee shop while we were like apartment hunting. And then we met some of the baristas at this coffee shop that were believers. And then they basically talked the owner and they were like, Hey, you need to hire that guy. And then the owner just walked by and put, a w2 on my table and she was like i was told i'd have to hire you so go ahead and fill that out and i was like
1: oh my gosh (laughs) and
2: then she became really good friends of mine too she's she's awesome uh but god's yeah god's been faithful with my coffee journey and we always will find a shop we like and then we'll move as close as we can to it so then it's like my neighborhood is where my church is where my coffee shop is and my uh grocery store is and i'm gonna run into those people all the time and we still even did it even in south tulsa there's a coffee shop uh, in Bixby that just launched like a year ago, and they're awesome. And uh, the I live on 121st, and the church is on 111th, and so, like in a five minute square, I can go to coffee shop, church, house, grocery store. Oh, <laughs> so, I love that.
1: I yeah, love that.
2: gotta gotta know my people and the neighbors and yeah. stuff. So
1: yeah, that's that's a huge part of sort of who we are is very much neighborhood ministry, neighborhood like third place knowing the people you're around connecting Mm -hmm. um, yeah especially when you get in a big city you can sort of feel overwhelmed and and it's also sort of uh when you're running into people you want them to know you're sort of like you're you're pasturing where you're at Mm -hmm. like yeah i'm a person i'm here that cares and i'm and actually devoted to all of you who are around me
2: that's something that i learned in new orleans because new orleans is such a tough city a lot of times that uh you know, a pastor or whoever it's like, yeah, I'm here, but I don't, I don't live among you people, you know, in this rough area, But no, we would live in the, in the neighborhood and and we would go to that coffee shop and just show like, no, I'm invested here. And I learned that heart while I was in New Orleans, because like, well, if you want to be taken seriously, show them you love their neighborhood yeah. and live in their neighborhood and yeah. go to shops in their neighborhood, you know? And that's, um, that heart is what I, I picked up there in New Orleans. And, To kind of taking it everywhere because you know it's it's the same it's like that maxim of you know you have a hard time with bob you know bob person over here he he's a pain in my butt well how do you want to have a better heart for bob well it's like pray for bob you know like actually know bob and it'll be a lot easier for you to love him well so the same thing with your neighborhood like well actually spend time in your neighborhood
1: and don't have coffee with bob
2: (laughs) yeah spend time in the neighborhood get to know bob and you'll love bob's neighborhood and bob and it'll be better. And so that's just a yeah, a practical thing that we've always done since we were in New Orleans and figured that out. So, or yeah. learned it, they taught it to us.
0: We all watched the new um what's it called? Son of his the his only son. Abraham, his only yeah. son. <laughs> What what are your thoughts just from? I know we've none of us have seen the full movie, but of the trailer, mm. I'm gonna let you go first, Matt. Bring it. I
1: I've I got some thoughts. So be I'll be interested if they're the same or not. It'll be interesting. Um, See, here's the thing: I don't know where you land theologically on a lot of stuff, so this is gonna be fun. Oh yeah, wait. it's <laughs> you know, g-
2: generally my orthodoxy hasn't changed, uh, but my
1: application of point. it okay yeah I'm a squishy Calvinist is what I usually say to you're people Squishy Calvinist. Yeah. even yeah. Calvin wasn't really a Calvinist so yeah <laughs> you're yeah. a man of Calvin
2: yeah Tulip just doesn't do it for me but uh yeah <clears throat> the, watching the movie um or the trailer I I like the chosen a lot I don't know how big of a fanboy I would be of the chosen I think it's good it's good tv And so watching the trailer for that, I can see their style in it. Mm -hmm. But uh, my fear of his only son would be what makes all other Christian movies bad is when they try and just ham fist in a moral to it. You know, like how heavy handed are they going to be with uh, like gospel stuff to it? You know what I mean? Like... To, I think to make a good movie of that like what you know why was the Prince of Egypt generally a good movie because it just told the story with some license uh
1: yeah and a lot and, of and it stuck to the yeah and it stuck In to the, the story yeah
2: and, uh and so my hope is that they could do that for the Abraham and Isaac story but if they try and be too Obviously I want people to see Jesus through it, but to be ham fisted with it I think would ruin it. That would be yeah. my fear just watching it. But I'm not
1: I'm not sure. I agree with you, Matt, in a lot of ways what you're saying. I they tip their hand on this title for sure, what their what their sort of goal is with this film when they call it his only son, referencing John 316, of course. Sort of that the parallels between Abraham and Isaac and and Jesus and, and sort of that narrative and scapegoat and there's a lot in there. I, I'll be interested in what they get into that, and and I think that's good and well for us as Christians to see, sort of in the Old Testament, things have been pointing to Jesus and things that we see that are part of. I do think there is a there can be problems when teaching Old Testament texts that we look too much for the entire meaning of the text to be just Jesus and not for it also to be what it mean what God was telling us in that specific story. And I think that that specific story tells us a lot about God. Uh, and Yahweh is himself revealed to the, the Israelites at the time. And it also speaks later And there's types and shadows of Jesus. But there's, I think there's a problem when you try and mirror it one-to-one on top of. It comes with a lot of interpretational issues. And we miss what God is saying at the moment. There's, like I, I, was, I pulled up a book. This is what I do. I, one of my favorite uh, uh, authors writing on preaching the Old Testament. His name is Christopher Wright. It's on how to preach and teach the Old Testament for all it's worth. He says, if we teach that the kind of thing, all we do is reinforce people's suspicion that the Bible's the book they could never understand for themselves, if they have to just come up with some way to take Ezra how that means just about Jesus. He also says we we actually end up teaching and preaching not what the text says, but what we see later in the Bible and that that that's that's like not the best way to understand a text. Like it's better probably if you read the story of Abraham and Isaac to first say, what is God saying to his people at this moment? Now we can say, where do we see Jesus later? We can add that in there. But this to me looks like, I'm suspicious because I feel like they flattened the story and the understanding of, for instance, I know that a huge part of this is that child sacrifice was not a rarity in their day and age. And that God was saying, I am not that kind of God. I'm a God who loves you and provides for you. And, And yes, is Jesus in that story? Do we see that? Yes. But we, we also miss a lot of who God is revealing himself to be if we just flatten it to this story is actually just about Jesus only. Yes, the whole Bible's about Jesus. The whole Bible's about God, about God, God in his wholeness, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we shouldn't flatten the Old Testament to be just about Jesus. And I'm suspicious when I watched this trailer, it felt that way to me, that that's what they were doing. So it may reveal good stuff about who Jesus is and how it was happening before, but I'm not sure about uh you know if we get good Old Testament sort of what's happening there. And and we and and again, I I do like I believe Jesus fulfillment at Old Testament scriptures, but there also is something to be said about what this does to the people whose primary faith is based off of the Old Testament or the Torah or the law and the prophets. Like we're speaking to our Jewish brothers and sisters in sort of a a way that says, actually, your story is not what you think it is, which I do a bit say that, but a bit. I don't Uh, like their story. That story of Abraham and Isaac has meant something for a long time to a lot Mm -hmm. of people.
0: Yeah. When when I hear sermons on Abraham and Isaac, like every time people bring up, how would you feel if God asked you to sacrifice your own child? And that's that's not the context. Child sacrifice has been gone for so long. The way we view things is very different. Um, And so that even feels like just putting the story very much through a modern context. And that was my initial thought as they were talking about it. And in it, um, Sarah seems just baffled that it would be a thing. And then... When Abraham's response is, it's to remind us that the wages of sin is death. And I was like, that's, yeah, said that's thousands that. of years later. Yeah, that's he not didn't the, know that's, that. He's and just ignoring language, the fact yeah. that, Like, like Abraham, the, a huge part of the story with Abraham is that he didn't know stuff. Like right. This is God introducing himself to somebody without really any context other than what they already know and trying to separate himself from the context of what the views of other deities would have been and this is like almost pretending he has all the information already
2: yeah does it seem like it's they're trying to turn abraham into a prophet
0: it feels that way
2: he didn't fulfill that role he was like you're saying he was almost like the instrument like a bystander in the in what God was doing. God's saying, I'm going to choose you, but you have nothing to do with any of this. Just pay attention. Is kind of his role. He's not kind of, kind
0: of feels like how you were talking about with how your church was built. It's just partially knowing that they're going to build on and they're pretending like he had the entire structure built.
2: Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of it that way. I'd have to rewatch it and think about it and and, and see the movie.
1: Yeah, right. yeah, seeing the the movie would probably help, and maybe it's more faithful than we realize. And and I, yeah. uh, their audience is obviously a Christian audience. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good sort of they they've proven they can make a, a product that will be watched widely. So when you make a trailer, you're gonna you're gonna pick all those pieces, and a lot of maybe it's not true, but a lot of the time the marketing people who make the trailer are not the people who make the film. Quite often and i'm not sure if that's the way with this this group but a lot of times it's like what's our best marketing sort of clips that that will draw people in and i say what they what that trailer i watched was very much speaks to a christian audience it does a good yeah. job of speaking the language like you said that wages of sin is death line tying that with isaac that's a i mean that's such such a it's a very important new testament pauline concept that that brings into theology but it's not an old Testament thing, but a lot of people know that language. So sort of speaking the language of, of Christians to understand what it's saying. So yeah, that'll be interesting. It'd be an interesting one to see. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, old Testament, especially, but I mean, Matt, what you said about Prince of Egypt though, I mean that film, I rewatched it with my kids this past year and I forgot how just amazing it is. Like just the mournfulness of loss and the sadness of the, the plagues and of the death of the firstborn, just like the mournfulness of it all is just the hope they had, but the, the sadness at the same time. And can I see God's plan for Jesus in that? Yes, but it didn't have to be this overt, like, let's make sure we turn it into this story that, that like you can't miss it. We're just going to be in your face and it can't be what the story was. It actually has to be what we learned 2000 years after that, that fits into it.
0: Yeah, I I am excited for it in the realm of actually having movies done well that are Christian movies and whatever, like yeah. cinematography looks great, all of that. I just wish that the process of having a good Christian movie, both in how it's produced and theology, they didn't start with production and hopefully work on theology later but it feels like that's kind of the route they're going.
1: No, I th- I mean, they have, it's very explicit theology. I mean, this is a thing where, uh, Well, I know uh, that, but I mean, one like- problem a lot of Christian films have is not that they're bad writing. A lot of times it's great writing. It's not that there's been good production before. It's that they, their purpose is not that like, there's not, they don't set out to create this film for the purpose of making good art that glorifies God. They set out to make something that can live as a, a thing that calls for people to convert or changes people's minds, which good good cinema doesn't do. It actually usually asks more questions than it answers. And this is out to say, we actually know the answer. We're going to tell you in this film. And that's not how any good film, like you never want to be, I mean, any other genre of film doesn't set out to do that. It's not enjoyable. Unless you like 100% are on board with what it says, which, I mean, i I just, it's not good. And and if if I'm on board for what it says, what is it really telling me at this point, this confirmation? It doesn't ask questions. It's not grappling with any sort of darkness for real. It's
2: not taking you on any journey. You already know where it's going with it. It, And that same can be said for people on the other side of the theological or political spectrum. Anytime that they hand fist in their their agenda, it's obvious that it's Yeah, Yeah,
1: Yeah, it is. it's, Mm -hmm. It's not
2: good movie making. So if you, you know, shout out to another podcast. Have you ever listened to the uh, uh, movie Proposal?
1: Yes. Sky Love, does? Yeah.
2: yeah. So they always talk about good, like exactly what you're saying about what good media looks like. And they mentioned lots of movies that are not explicitly Christian movies, but they have Christian themes in them. Like the Tree of Life. They mentioned oh, that.
1: Yeah. Love the Tree of Life. Uh, they, yeah.
2: yeah. They mentioned that a lot where it's like, it is. Overtly has Christian themes in it, but they're obscured, and you have to think about stuff. Like that's what makes good cinema. I think that's why the Chosen is good as being explicitly Christian, is because it's not the straight-up Jesus story that we all know. It's telling like other side stories, and you're having to like piece things together, and it's actually intriguing because you don't know the dance steps of what's coming exactly next. So that's i feel like the 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 people that make these movies they're they're gonna have some missteps you know they're gonna uh but i I hope like what james was saying that they learn from mistakes and can create actual good christian media even if it is just straight bible stuff that they're doing but can they do it in a way that is true to the story and faithful uh to good
1: art i like how um as you talk the chosen and you talk probably any biblical text, the reality is, it's not as straightforward as anyone thinks. I know you've probably learned this, and as you as you like, really get into like the all sorts of, of biblical interpretation, it is just that. And, and also the stuff the stuff that's missing that we might write in there if we were writing it today, that they had no reason to write and, and sort of describe for us. Right? There's like no point in them describing parts of the story that we have to just kind of imagine what it might have been like. That doesn't mean it's right. But there, I think there's, there's some leeway in when you're doing storytelling, you don't want to be, you want to be faithful to sort of the heart of what it is, but you also have to sort of draw some conclusions You have to sort of make some interpretive decisions is what you're having to do. And, and newsflash, a lot of stories in your Bible are interpretive decisions. It's just, now that doesn't mean that I don't think that changes the character of God. I don't think that changes what God's trying to say to us, but there's certain things that you may think that you've read in Bible that are. 100% 100% solid. And then you go back and look at interpretations. You're like, well, a lot of really smart people have different interpretations and they're all faithful, but they are way different. And my assumptions just may be wrong. And we all may be wrong about it. Yeah. I, think, I think holding that a little bit looser actually probably makes for more interesting storytelling where you could bring up a question and you could say, I, I'll make a different interpretation and get people talking about an understanding sort of what's going on and in discussing and thinking about what's happening
0: the interesting thing with the different style of writing that there was in the bible that there aren't physical descriptions of people like we've we've added things for so many of these characters or people will say well that guy was black did you know that uh-huh. they didn't they didn't talk about that the only times it actually says any physical descriptors was to give you more information on like the character of the person or whatever, like whether they were big or short, that kind of thing. They don't like really describe what people looked like.
1: Yeah.
2: Only only insofar as it needs to be there for the story. Like the obvious example is like David and Goliath. Like you need to know that
1: stature, the story yeah.
2: to make sense and to have meaning to it. Yeah. Can you
1: imagine if Tolkien had wrote the Bible? The way he describes every character's outfit, it would be way longer. Be
2: a much larger book.
1: (laughs) Much larger book. (laughs) I don't know. Have you seen the recent memes? This is such a weird aside. There's people doing all these memes of if Pedro Pascal was. Have you seen these? Like all the outfits Pedro Pascal wears, and my favorites are like if Pedro. I saw one that was if he was a uh CCM music artist. It's like a, a cover of jars of clay and Pedro Pascal dress looking just like it. That's We're looking like Jennifer Knapp. And there's another one where Pedro Pascal is Bible translations. And that's my favorite. It's the best. You should everyone go look up Pedro Pascal as Bible translations. I think it's hilarious. Maybe I'm just a Bible nerd and,
0: and a nerd nerd at the same time. This will be a shorter episode. Um, but I thought it was a, a good thing for um Us just have some conversation with, you know, y'all getting to know each other again and kind of uh, getting a feel for how some of the conversation can go uh, moving forward and give just give people just a little taste, a little taste of uh, of what's to come. I'll go ahead and end it with I'm James Eisenhower.
2: I'm Matt O'Mealy,
0: And I'm Kyle Eisenhower. And to continue on what Brad started, everything is okay, people. Thank